This morning's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, and you'll find that on page 977 of the Bible in the pew rack in front of you. We'll be reading verses 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. You'll see it up on the screen as well. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Cindy, for reading the text for us. I encourage you to uh, be in that uh, passage there in Ephesians chapter 4. We have one more week where we will uh, be in this text, and then we'll con- uh, begin our, our First Corinthians study. We wanted to spend a few weeks in, this, in these few verses here because it is, uh, it's a very important text about the church and we want to make sure that uh, as we, we think through in 2024 here of the importance of church, we want to elevate it to its proper place. Now, the reason for that is, um, as we said a couple weeks ago, there is a perceived, the perceived, I'll say this, the perceived importance of the church is waning uh, in our nation, in the world, but even inside the church as well. Um, yet, the church is God's plan for the present. And so we said two weeks ago to ignore or even diminish the value and significance of the church is to sinfully reject God's plan. Now, it, it would be easy to assume that it's like, well, okay, it makes sense that a pastor is going to talk about why church is important, okay? Uh, you know, you need people in the seats, right? You know, no pastor wants to get up to empty seats and things like this. And I'd like to say this, you know, um, I, I'm going to say like Bob and Jeremy and Bob, you're going to have to recruit more. There's way too many people on this side and this side. And so you're going to have to recruit some people over to your side for, for next week, okay? Uh, but it would be easier for it to assume, well, that's the reason why pastor watches this is, is because, you know, you just, you want people there. Well, okay, that, that's true. We want people here. But honestly, the reason why that we are insistent that we value the church, we put it in its proper place, is because, one, it glorifies God. That's most important. Right? This is his plan, and, and we need to be obedient to his plan. Okay? So that's the first reason, most important reason. But secondly, is that it is best for us. This is what God has given to us for this day and age. 
and for our time. And, and we, we should accept that. And so we're, we're just pleading with all of us to say, let's just make sure this is the priority because this is where we will find what God has for us, right? I'm not saying the church is perfect. I'm not saying that uh, we're without fault. And, and again, uh, uh, we know that not to be true. We know that we have a faults and we know that we're a group of sinners. That's what the church is. But what we are saying is that this is God's plan for us. So that's why we're spending some time here at the beginning of 2024 saying, hey, let, let's, let, let's, uh, let's elevate the church to its proper place. Because there are some that put it in an improper place uh, as if the church is infallible or things like that. And that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about what does the Bible say about the significance of the church. So two weeks ago, we looked at that to elevate the church. And one of the reasons how we biblically elevate the church is by gladly receiving Jesus' gifts to the church. We talked about how that's presented in this text, at least, as people rather than skills. And so we, we receive, we receive the gifts that God's given to the church. Last week, Wayne covered some territory for us here, and he said that we elevate the church by being transformed together. That's what the text here says in the text that he was in, in verse 13 here, or verse 12 uh, and verse 13 here. So where do we come today? We come to, we're going to center on verse 14. So it says, we get the maturity there. Verse 13 talks about, so that, look at verse 14, so that we may no longer be children to and fro, uh, uh, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. That's what we're going to settle on today here. So here's what we're going to kind of summarize what we hope to accomplish today is that Jesus gave the church to us in order to combat prolonged immaturity and to avoid spiritual instability. So Jesus gave the church to us to combat prolonged immaturity and to avoid spiritual instability. And so if we find ourselves in prolonged immaturity, that's not God's plan for us. If we find ourselves very unstable spiritually, that's not God's plan for us. According to Ephesians chapter 4, the church is the means, the primary means by which God has given to us to combat these things, okay? Not diminishing the word, not diminishing the other gifts that God has given to us, but we'll see that it's through the church that these other gifts that are given to us here. So that's where we're going to go this morning. As always... We want to stop, though. We're going to pause. We want to ask God's blessing. We want to ask God's enablement. Uh, anytime we open the Word, anytime we begin to talk about it, we want to make sure we're relying on Him and His Spirit. So let's pray. Father, it truly is a joy for us to open the Word again and to study it together. Lord, I pray that as I have this, this incredible privilege to stand here in front of my friends here, uh, people that maybe I haven't even had a chance to get to know super well, or hey, just everyone who's gathered here, maybe people who are watching online who I've not met yet, it's, the, it's a privilege to proclaim the word here. And it's one that I don't take lightly. And so right now, in the presence of all, I ask for your enablement. I ask that I would be sensitive to your spirit's leading, and that how I communicate this text would be accurate to what you have. This is your word. We don't want to mess with it. And Lord, I pray for everyone listening that we would listen with uh, attentive hearts and, and that your spirit would, would remove distractions and that we would look at this text of scripture and we think about the truths that it is communicating 
and that you would use it to transform us. So this is what we're praying for um, because it honors you and it's what we need. And we need your spirit to guide us. And so that's what we're asking for. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Two points this morning. First of all is this one. We should never be content with prolonged immaturity. That should not be something that we are content with. Now, all of us have to go through phases of immaturity, right? You can't become mature unless you were once immature. I mean, it's just the way it goes. You see it uh, as children develop. You see it maybe even in a new skill or a new job that you have. Maybe a new hobby you pick up. Uh, and maybe, maybe you pick up woodworking or something like that. And, and the first thing you make, you're really proud of because all the hard work that you put into it. And you go show it off to someone. Someone, and they're like, well, that's nice. That's nice. It's all crooked and mangled and things like that. You know, well, then if you only made that for the rest of your life, well, then that's a problem, right? We should never be content with prolonged immaturity because growing towards maturity is the expectation for all humans. Growing in maturity is the expectation of all humans. The absence of growth indicates a problem. It just indicates that there's a problem. So if someone um, does not continue to grow or does not show maturity, then those bring off warning bells, right? And, and, and people start to, to think about this. You think of, you know, when, when you, your children were born and you take them to the doctor's appointments and, and there's different marks that they're looking at and saying, okay, you know, they should be sitting up at this time or rolling over at this time or crawling at this time or speaking by this time. And, and there's always a range in that. And, things. and if we're not meeting some of those marks, that's when doctors start saying, you know, they probably should be doing this by now. Not, nothing to be super concerned about, but, you know, it's just something to keep an eye on, right? Because the expectation for everybody is for us to grow, right? What are some marks of immaturity, though, that we might have? Because uh, we're going to use these later on here. So these are just marks of immaturity that are often present within children. Because here's what Paul is doing. He's comparing and saying we don't want to remain children here. So what are some of those things? Well, impatience. Have you ever noticed that children just hate to wait for anything? Um, if you go up to a child, some child, um, and you say, depends on the age, right? And it depends on the child. This isn't universal, right? But if you say, I could give you $50 today, or I could give you $150 in a year, okay? The kid is going to think about that. The kid is going to think, maybe the kid will just say, give me the $50 now, right? Now, essentially, giving up $100, right? Now, I don't know, maybe I could take the, you know, any kids, a lot of the kids are in, in, uh, in children's church or something like that, you know. Uh, Mia, what would you do? Yeah, I figured you'd do the 150 yeah, because you like to make your dad go broke. But uh, um, so, so, yeah, no, but, yeah, so, so but, you know, she's older, so she's wiser, you know. Isaiah, what would you do? You would take the 152. Uh, you heard your sister give the right answer. So, so you know, most children would choose the 50 today, right? Okay, because they're, they're, they tend to want results immediately. Uh, they're impatient in some ways. Uh, another word that I thought of as uh, children a lot of times is impertinence. Assuming they know more than anyone else in the room. 
uh, assuming that they know what is best. Becoming defensive when challenged or having an inability to disagree agreeably or an unteachable spirit. This is often the mark of immaturity. And in children, it's like they, they, they learn one thing about something and all of a sudden they think they're the expert on it. They, they really do. And, and, and they talk to other people as if no one else knows what they're talking about. This is, this is immaturity. And, and sometimes when it's really little, we can kind of smile and put out with it. But then if that carries into adulthood, it just becomes annoying, right? And it's like, well, you know, it's hard to get along with someone like that. These are marks of immaturity, impatience, impertinence. Uh, another one, uh, just, and we could go through many, I'm just going to give you these three, but an overemphasis on novelty and excitement is a mark of a child's uh, immaturity. Please, 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 please. I need it, I need it, I need it, I want 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 it. And then they get it, and two weeks later, where is it at? It's on the shelf. Please, 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 please. Something else, right? It's just this novelty and except they need something new all the time. Or how many parents have heard a child say, I'm bored. I'm bored. I cannot remember the last time I thought to myself, I'm bored. I don't know what to do. You know, I just, I mean, there is always a huge long list of things that we could do, right? Now, there's plenty of things that I don't feel like doing and I know I should do, but I'm never bored about those things, you know, because you can't be bored when you're trying to come up with excuses not to do what you should be doing. And so, you know, it's not, it's not possible to be bored. But kids, it's like, and I'm not trying to just, you know, talk bad about children here. I'm just trying to say that these are the things we help them grow out of, of immaturity here. So it is the expectation of all humans that we're growing past these things, that we're, that, we're, that we're not staying in these things. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about for us as Christians. And so growing towards spiritual maturity then is the expectation for all Christians. All Christians, everyone here, if you're a believer in Christ, the expectation for you is that you will be consistently growing in your spiritual maturity. That's the expectation. In fact, the Bible often speaks about this. And I, you know, there, we could have spent a lot of time chasing down different passages in this. I'm going to put a couple on the screen here in just a second. But um, it's just really a constant theme of how that we should be growing in spiritual maturity, growing to become more like Christ. Um, some of those rough edges that we have should be sanded off and consistently over time. And sometimes these are things that we need to work on year after year after year. But there should be growth. There should be progress that in our spiritual life because that's God's plan for us. God did not bring us salvation so that we would just simply remain who we always are. We should be constantly maturing. That's what this text is saying, that we would be no longer children. No longer children. And, and, and Paul also wrote this to the Corinthians. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still the flesh. 
For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, and behaving only in a human way? For when Paul says, I, for one, one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not merely being merely human? He's, he's talking to them, and it's interesting about how, and we're going to talk about this as we get into 1 Corinthians in a few weeks, of that he commends them for some spiritual things, but then he comes through here and he says, you know, though, but you're not where you should be. You're not spiritually growing to the levels that you should be. You're missing some marks here. You're still going back to some of the things that, was, that Jesus is saving you from. He's saving you from all of these rough edges here. And he says, you know, the jealousy and strife among you. He goes, that, that, you're supposed to be growing past these things, not be controlled by them. He says, I have to keep giving you milk. You're not ready because you're not mature. And he's lamenting the fact that they're not growing. In a similar way, the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 5. He says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Again, the author there is lamenting the fact that he says, you're not grown, you're not to the place where you should be. And he's, he's in the whole book, he's just pushing the people to grow and pushing the people to grow and follow Christ. That's what's happening here in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, what's happening is he says, this is what God has given the church to do. He's given this gift of, of these people who are leaders of the church. He's given the group of people to gather together. One of the reasons is so that we progress and we spiritually mature. That's one of the reasons why we have assembled together. Because you and I are supposed to be helping each other grow in Christ. That's the reason why we exist. It's so that we can exalt Christ and we can encourage one another in our spiritual growth or in our sanctification process. So remember those marks of immaturity that I talked about that are present in children. Let's apply those same three marks uh, to our spiritual growth here. So remember, we talked about marks of immaturity and we said the first one was impatience. Remember, Luke chapter 16 said this, The one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. And so this impatience and says that, oh, I, I want to I do more and more great things. What does God say? He says, you've got to show faithfulness in the smaller things first. You've you got to show that you are proven worthy of this and in the fact that, that you're growing in Christ. You've got to show that because if you're going to be dishonest in the little things, you're going to be dishonest in the big things. He says, you know, a mark of spiritual immaturity is to say, to think that you're much more mature than what you really are and you're impatient about the growth process and don't want to go through the growth process of the time that God brings us through. And often that, that means trials. Often that means difficulty in life. And we just don't want to deal with all of those things. But God says, he says, you know, this is for your growth. You know, God brings people into our lives for our sanctification journey to make us grow. And it's usually, it's not only the people who are encouraging us that God brings into our lives to help us grow. It's sometimes the difficult people in our lives that God brings for the purpose of us growing. That doesn't excuse their behavior, of course not, but it does mean that God will bring people into our lives so that we can grow. 
Impatience, though, says, I just want to move past that. I don't want to deal with that. James chapter 1, knowing this, my beloved brother, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. A mark of a mature spiritual person is patience. It's patience. But immaturity is, is impatience. We talked about impertinence. These are the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees just assumed they knew more than anyone else. I mean, they were the ones that were just rebuking Jesus. They were the ones that were rebuking the disciples. They were the ones that were saying that you have totally missed it. They, they thought that they knew God so well when they didn't know him at all. It reminds me of the Old Testament prophet who lamented, and he says, with their mouths they speak praises to God, but their heart is far from him. This impertinence, this idea of thinking that you are better than what you are, thinking that you know more than other people, we all must be careful against that. These are the disciples. Remember Peter. Remember when Jesus told Peter, remember this? He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. You remember what Peter's response to that was? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's like, no, no, no. I, I, the author says that, that Peter actually like pulls Jesus aside. In my mind, I have this thing of like Peter going. And he like pulls Jesus aside. And, like, and he begins to rebuke Jesus. Said, this is not going to happen. Not on my watch. I will not let anyone harm a hair on your head. They will have to go through me. They will have to you know, just uh, deal with my anger, my wrath, my toughness in order to get you. This will not happen. You will not go to Jerusalem and you will not die. And what did Jesus say to him? <laughs> yeah, get behind me, Satan. You know, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I've been called a lot of things in my life, but Satan is not one of them, okay? No one has ever said Satan, you know, um, for which I'm grateful. I don't want that to change in case anyone has ideas, okay? Um, you know, Christmas card next year, dear Satan, you know. Um, not yet. Why did he use Satan there, though? Because it means adversary. He says, you're being an, an adversary to the plan. You're not helping me. In his impertinence, in his seemingly, do you think Peter thought he was being immature? Do you think Peter thought that he was doing something wrong? Actually, no. He thought he was doing something right. He thought he was so, con- he was so convinced in his own mind that he had the right position and that he was morally superior to Jesus in that. And, and he says, that's not going to happen. But it was actually a mark of immaturity, not maturity. We have to be really careful about this. And so this is one of the reasons why the church is given to us, is because how do we know if we're being impertinent or not? Well, God brings believers into our lives who are going to love us and who are going to walk with us and who are going to be honest with us. And it's up to us whether or not we're going to listen to that. And where do we find that at? Primarily we find it here in the church. Find it where people of different walks of life will walk with one another and be honest with each other. But you see, that's what we have to have here. And then the reason why people are, they generally don't want to be that real with each other is because they don't know each other that well. Like, well, I don't know them well enough to say that to them. Fair point. But how do we get to that point? We have to get to know them. How do we get to know them? We have to spend time with each other. You see? You see, the more we separate, the more we kind of start isolating ourselves, the less we are able to do what God has asked us to do here. So this is the reason why we elevate church to its proper position to say that we need to be a church body that is constantly encouraging one another and loving one another and pushing each other to grow in Christ. So impatience, impertinence. 
Um, I talked about unteachable spirit here. That doesn't mean you never learn anything new. It just means you don't have the ability to have a humble disposition with others who have different opinions or beliefs other than your own. This is what he is saying here. Don't be like a child here. And then we talked about the overemphasis on novelty and excitement. I, my mind went to the book of Acts. I don't know if you remember this or not, but the book of Acts is this beautiful story. It's actually part two. Luke wrote volume one in his gospel. And then part two is... Um, is the book of Acts. Um, he continues on. He's writing this theological treatise to a person. He addresses it to the person named Theophilus. We studied Acts a few years ago. Maybe you'll remember some of this. But we come to chapter 17, and uh, we know that Paul there is on his missionary trip, and he's got some believers with him. And he comes to the city of Athens, okay? So we read about this in, in Acts 17. And, and there's a description that Luke, and Luke being the careful historian that he is, um, he, he gives this to us. And I, I put it on the screen for you. This is what Acts 17.21 says. It says, And now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. They needed something new. They needed something novel all the time. If it wasn't new, if it wasn't out with the, you know, no, give me something new. Give me something new. We do that spiritually at times as well. We, we, we become bored with the simple truths of the gospel. How? How is it that, that, that the, the bread and the juice, how is it that the spoken word, how is it that the songs that we sing, how can that ever be boring to us? You know, I have lectured a lot on the Lord's Supper in different places and things like that. And, and you know, um, it's no secret that um, I love the fact that we have it each week here. And it's, it's something that I think is really helpful to our church and and so in lecturing on that, you know, the, the number one response I usually get um, from someone that says, yeah, I don't think we should do it every week. And the reason why is because we want to make sure it remains special. And, you know, we don't become bored with it because I, we need to keep it elevated to a proper place. And I, I always affirm, first of all, I start, I am really glad that you want to really keep the Lord's Supper in its proper place and, 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 and have it to be special because it is indeed just a special gift that Jesus has given to us. But my pushback is that's being bored with the table or singing or the word or anything for that matter has nothing to do with frequency. It's all about our heart disposition. You know, so usually I'm talking to pastors when I'm doing this. And here's what I usually say. Well, let's do this then we want it to remain special. Let's only take an offering once a month. Okay? Because we want to, that's part of worship. So pastors start looking like, huh. I say, you know what, let's only preach a sermon once a month here. You know, they start getting the idea of like, okay, wait a minute here. It's not necessarily frequency. You see, we often are just so people that we're, we're wired societally to only want something that's new and novel and reject something that is old or something that's tried. And let me just encourage us. We cannot be a healthy church if we're getting bored with the things that God has given to us to celebrate each and every week. And if we are getting bored with preaching or with singing songs or with scripture reading or the table or fellowship with each other, let me just submit, that's not necessarily an indication. In fact, I would say it's almost never an indication of the elements here. It's more of a heart disposition that needs to be recalibrated. 
And so let me just encourage us as we're trying to elevate church to its proper place. You know, it, we should never come to the point of like say, the Bible is boring. Now, I will be the first to admit that there are sections in the Bible that are easier to understand than others. Okay, I will be the first to admit that. I'll be the first to admit that there are plenty of times where I'm reading in, uh, you know, maybe an Old Testament book or something like that. And I'm like, ah, what is going on here? And, and, you know, and I have more time. I have more resources to study this. And so, you know, I, I, I sympathize with, with the people who are, are, you know, don't have as much time to, to devote to this that I do. And I can imagine how frustrating that would be sometimes. But let me just encourage you in this way is that God's word is given to us to study. God's given us plenty of resources. God's given us a wonderful place where we can bring questions about the text. A wonderful group of people that we can start bouncing ideas and questions off of in a safe place. And where is that place? The church. You see, we don't expect people to come here having all their questions answered or having it all figured out. We don't expect everyone here to know everything about the Bible. We expect this to be a place where we can discuss in a humble and gracious way what the Scriptures are teaching and try to encourage each other with it. Some of you have studied some things more than others. You can share that with other people. This is the reason why we have classes. This is the reason why we have certain times where ladies get together and have a class together where men have a time to get together. We've been doing that, and now we're going to come back and, 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 and study together. Then we'll break up again. You know, Titus says that older women should teach younger uh, women. Uh, older men should teach younger men. We, we want this to be a place where we we are constantly uh, uh, ministering to one another and in, in, in teaching the scriptures to one another here. So he, here's the point of this, the, the, the first point. Then I need to move to our second and final point is this, is that God's given the church to combat prolonged spiritual immaturity. And so what you need to do, what I need to do is we need to take stock of ourselves and say, have I really grown in Christ? And if I haven't, I need to ask myself why? And I need to ask myself, what are the marks of that? I need to have some conversations about that. Maybe there's repentance. Maybe there's some sin that you've been just kind of hanging on to. And let me tell you, if you're doing that, it's going to kill spiritual growth. Maybe this is the time where you say, this is the final. I'm just going to repent of this. I'm going to put it away. I'm going to delete the apps. I'm going to you know, do whatever it takes to be focused on Christ and growing in Christ this year. Maybe that needs to happen. Maybe it's, maybe it's not sin that's holding you back. Maybe it's, maybe it's more of just a lack of energy. You're just tired. I feel for you. This is where you need brothers and sisters to come alongside. Remember Moses lifting up his arms, Aaron and her on either side, holding them up. Maybe you need that. And what other place to find that than here? But you've got to be real with each other on that. You've got to spend time with each other. There's much more that we could say, but the church is gift from Jesus to keep us from remaining spiritually immature. So take advantage of the gift. Um, we must move on. Number two, our final point this morning as we look at this text here is we must avoid spiritual instability. So first of all, we don't want to prolong spiritual immaturity, but then he talks about this idea about children being tossed to and fro by, uh, by the ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So this idea of instability here is, is uh, on, uh, on, on what's, what's in front of us here. Um, 
And again, instability, what it, the reason why this is important is because instability makes life hard and progress very difficult. And this is the reason why if we're constantly rocking back and forth, we're constantly going from one side to the other, constantly, you know, not being on solid ground spiritually, it is going to be very difficult to, ha- to progress to, those, uh, to maturity. It makes life hard and progress very, very difficult. Some of you know that uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my family, we were in California. Starting, I'm going to talk a little bit about it tonight, but uh, we were in California uh, for a short time. Uh, my son's starting some new uh, um, uh, uh, treatments for, for his uh, severe allergies. And so we were, we were there, and um, uh, the place where it's located is in Long Beach, California. And so um, I was in 65-degree weather, and then I... Flew home, and I was in negative ice. I don't know. It was very cold. And it was jarring to our system, even though I'm from here. Um, So we got back on Saturday. It had been last Saturday, so that was when it was, like, super cold. And we thought, man, we should have come up with a way to stay there longer. Um, But... We were there, and now one of the things that has always been on a bucket list of mine, we had a day uh, kind of off where we could do something, was uh, um, the uh, Queen Mary is in Long Beach, California. Uh, if you don't know, Queen Mary was a luxury ship um, pre-World War II, and then in World War II it got converted into a um, uh, troop transport vessel, and the reason why I've wanted to visit that my whole life is because my grandfather, who served in World War II, when he came home uh, back to America, he came on the Queen Mary. Okay, that's how he came home. So I always wanted to, 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 to be there and visit there. So I was in Long Beach, family was in Long Beach, made sense. So we toured the, the Queen Mary while we were out there. One of the things that at the beginning of the tour, uh, we're in the the kind of the, the middle of the ship, the big hallway where the shops and things were and stuff. And so the tour guide did a great job. He's talking through things. And he points on the, on the railings and the post there. There's like this little indention with a metal bar kind of in there. He says, anyone know what those are for? You know, of course, no one knew what it was for. That's why we're paying you to give us a tour guide. Okay, so we don't know what it's for. And he says, here's what it's for. He goes, in stormy weather, they would clip wire or ropes to this so passengers could walk along <laughs> and stay stable as they were walking along the ship going back and forth. All of a sudden, my thought of, man, I would have loved to have been the Queen Mary thinks, well, maybe not. You know, I don't know. Um, but it was in very unstable. I'm going to bring this up because it makes progress very, very difficult, right? You're trying to, you, you need ropes to hang on to on a ship and things like that. You know that the water is really unstable stable. Um, instability, it just makes life very difficult and progress very, very hard. And, and, and this is what Paul is talking about here. He's saying that God's given us a gift to help us be mature, to help us grow, like Wayne talked about last week. Is so, But we don't want to stay immature. We don't want to stay in the, un, in the instability of life here. And so God has given us things. But how does Paul describe this? So what are the, the causes of um, this instability? Well, he says, tossed by every wind of doctrine here. What this means is, you know, uh, not being sure of what the Scriptures teach. 
um, going back and forth all the time. Now, again, there are some things about the Scriptures that are hard to understand. I'll be the first to admit that. There are things about the Scriptures that I understand conceptually because of what the Scriptures teach. I understand and I believe it to be true, but I can't explain it. So give me an example. Sure. Jesus' incarnation. 100% God, 100% man. Intellectually, I got it in terms of this is what the Bible teaches. But you start really thinking about how that plays out, your brain gets in a pretzel real fast, okay? Trinity, okay? God is one God. We are monotheist in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You say, explain that to me. Well, all I can do is I can point to the passage in the Scriptures where all three are called God, and I can tell you what there says that there is one God. That's what I can do. How that actually is, I, I can't fully understand. So I, so I get that, okay? Give me one last illustration. The Scriptures are very clear that God spoke the world into existence. So explain that to me. Scientifically, Jeremy, how did that happen? I don't know. I don't know. He spoke the world's in existence. That's all I can take. So I will say that there are plenty of places in the Scriptures where we just have to kind of just accept what it teaches. Okay? So I'm not saying that everything is, is abundantly clear. But what the Scriptures do say is everything we need for life and godliness is absolutely clear. Peter writes about that in his second letter. That everything we need for life and godliness is absolutely clear. And so we can't be tossed back and forth all the time about this. And, and if, we ha- if we approach the Scriptures with the disposition of, well, I know that the Bible says that, but, okay, now you're being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Okay? Well, I know that the Bible says that about that, but, yeah, but, okay, nope, 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 you're out of bounds now. Well, I know the Bible says this about marriage, but, nope, nope, nope. See the point? You see, we can't be tossed by every wind of doctrine. Tossed by human cunning, he says here. This means following conventional wisdom over the Scriptures. Okay, let me give you some illustrations of this. I can't tell anyone of my sin. Just, there's just no way. There's no way that I can admit to anyone else my sin struggles. I just can't do it, even though the Scriptures tells us to. Human wisdom says that's a bad idea. Human wisdom says you keep that to yourself. Okay? Now, I'm not advocating that everyone needs to come up here and stand on the stage and confess every sin. That's not what I'm saying. But we should have people in our lives, other believers in our lives, where we can be transparent with and say, I'm really struggling with this. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? You know, I, my, my heart is being bent towards this. Man, I blew up at my coworker the other day. You know, I'm looking at things I shouldn't be looking at. I'm thinking about things I shouldn't be thinking. I'm saying this. I, I'm, this words are coming out of my mouth that are just not helpful. They're tearing people down, tearing people that I love down. Would you pray with me? You, we should have people in our lives. That's the gift of the church. He says, but if we, we ignore that, then we're just going to remain immature. You see, human cunning says that's a bad idea. You don't do that. But yet we saw, we saw even last year, we saw a man who confessed his sin and God has radically changed him, saved his marriage, saved even maybe his life. And he shared that with us. Human wisdom says don't do that. God says no, you have to, right? God is love. How could God be against two people who truly love each other? Ever heard that? Human cunning, human wisdom says, uh, listen, 
No, God will, cannot be against anyone who truly loves someone else. Not only is that an argument that we've, we've heard in recent days of you know, LGBTQ things, but also I once had someone sit across from the table from me, a believer, and tell me this as a reason of why they could divorce their spouse and marry the person they were having an affair with. I love this person. This person loves me. God could not be a part of it. It could, could not be opposed to something like this. is true love. Nope. <laughs> this is huh, human cunning here. This is what keeps people from maturing. This is what keeps us down. And this is what Paul is saying, do not do this. I could give more and more illustrations, but you get the point here. There's one other one <clears throat> that he mentions here. And that is tossed by crafty, deceitful schemes there. And if you see that, humankind by craftiness and deceitful schemes at the end of verse 14. Now, I think the reason why he, he puts it this way is because the word scheme there is the same word that he uses of the devil in chapter 6, verse 11. And so what I think he's doing is here, I think he's parsing this. Re- he says human cunning. I think that's the reason why he put the word human in there. And he says this is human cunning, and now he's talking about a spiritual battle. So what he's saying here is he's saying we're, we're up against, we're up against uh, uh, opposition both on a human side but also on a spiritual side as well. And so he says be careful what Satan wants us to do and, and how he's constantly trying to trip us up here. And again, we can spend a long time in this, and my time is gone, so I, don't, I can't do this, but what I'll say this is that Satan wants us to be impassioned people. He wants us to be impassioned about something, but it's just the wrong stuff. He doesn't want us to be impassioned about Christ. He doesn't want us to be impassioned about following God, but he does want us to be impassioned about a whole host of other things. If we could remain uh, uh, energetic and enthused about a whole host of other things, boy, Satan's okay with that. And again, those things usually aren't wrong. Those things usually aren't a problem unless they come out of their proper place. And so Satan's scheme is like, keep them busy. There's a, there's a book called Screwtape Letters. Um, it, it was written by C.S. Lewis. And, and kind of the, 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 the idea of the book here is that um, we have, uh, it's, it's, it's obviously not true. It's a, it's a story that he made up, but he's, he's making the point, is that we have um, a senior, uh, a demon, if you will, that's writing letters uh, to his nephew, who is like an up-and-coming uh, demon in the ranks, and he's trying to give him advice. So the whole, the whole book, you're reading it, and they're, they're talking about the enemy. Well, the enemy's actually God in this because his demon's writing this, and, and so it's a, it's, it's a fascinating read. If you've never read it, I would just really encourage you to read it. Very short book. You you could get through it real fast, but it's really helpful in just kind of seeing some of those things of how uh, these, these uh, are pr- proposedly uh, writing to one another. But here's what he said here in one of the letters here. Uh, this is the, the uncle writing to his nephew. All extremes except extreme devotion to the enemy. The enemy remembers God in this, okay? Okay, you got to you know, flip that in your mind. Uh, all extremes except extreme devotion to the enemy are to be encouraged. Let him begin by treating patriotism or pacifism as part of his religion, provided that meetings, pamphlets, uh, policies, um, 
uh, movements, causes, crusades matter more to him than matter than prayers and sacraments and charities. He is ours. And the more religious on those terms, the more securely ours. What he's saying here, he says, keep them busy. Keep them passionate. Keep them uh, going after all these things. And the more that person can, can argue that there's a moral good to this, and it's distracting him from following God, he says, man, the more he is ours, right? And this is that human scheme that he's talking about here. And Paul talks about this as well in Colossians. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What is Paul saying there? He's saying, listen, you're going back to all these arguments, you're debating about all these things and, and, and all these rules and regulations and saying that, that, that we must do this, we must do that, and it's taking your distraction away from following God. He says, in, in the unity of the brethren, he says, he says, you're missing the point here. So this is what leads to instability here. So instead of being unstable, God desires for us just remain firm. Again, I could, there's, there's a whole list of verses I could give here. I, in my notes, I have seven. I'm not going to give them all to you. I'll just put two on the screen. Is this, in 1 Corinthians, it says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And then in 2 Thessalonians, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So here's what I would say because I have to conclude is this. A biblical church is Jesus' stabilizing gift to Christians in a very unstable world. Again, I'm not minimizing the word. You reading the word every day, we should do that. We must do that. I'm not minimizing individual prayer time. We must do that. We should do that. But what I am saying is that God has given us the church and we must see it for what it is. It's, it's to help combat immaturity. It's to help keep us stable in a very unstable world. So, as I said at the beginning, Jesus gave the church gave the church to us to combat prolonged immaturity and to avoid spiritual instability. So we combat that by taking advantage and prioritizing gatherings like this. You know, the Bible refers to Sunday morning as the Lord's Day. Remember that in Revelation chapter 1? So we've got six days to do everything else. Can we, is it too much for God to say, take one day and don't, pri- and don't, don't plan anything else? Just, just prioritize being together and worshiping me. doesn't mean we can't do anything else. I'm not a Sabbatarian in that, in, in that strict sense of the word. But what I will say is that we should take the principle and say, okay, we've got one day here. And, and John called Sunday the Lord's Day in Revelation 1. As imperfect as the church is, um, we, 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 we see it as, we receive it as God's gift to us.